Before we get started today, I want to tell you about a special message I just posted on the Jerry Dearman podcast channel. Did you know that right now we're watching Revelation chapter 12 play out before our very eyes? You've likely heard of the major conflict taking place in Israel, but have you heard about the underlying story behind that conflict? This message not only unveils the reason people around the world are turning against Israel, but it also reveals God's perspective on the overall situation. You won't hear this on any news station. Before you take sides and draw conclusions, I suggest you hear this message and share it with others. It's called Covenant Eyes, and you can find it on the Jerry Derman podcast channel. Okay, now let me welcome you to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where we read and talk through a chapter of the New Testament every day. I'm glad you're here because reading God's Word daily will change your life. And I'd appreciate it if you'd help others find this resource by sharing the link. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, 1 Timothy 5 from the New King James Version. A lot of practical insight here. But here's what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, who, by the way, was what we would consider the senior pastor of this church, the primary leader appointed by Paul of this church in Ephesus. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Interesting. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. So if there's an older man in the church that needs correction, needs instruction, needs to get back on track, Paul said, you being a younger pastor or minister, don't rebuke him, but exhort him as a father. In other words, show respect for his age, having uh, being older than you, show respect for his age as you communicate to him. Exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. So here are younger men than you, but don't dominate them. Don't, you know, be authoritative with them, but lead them and exhort them as brothers, as your own personal brothers. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. And watch this. He adds these three words with all purity. Isn't that interesting? The younger women exhort them as sisters just like the fathers, the younger men, the women as mothers, and now the younger women as sisters. But he says, with all purity. See, because he's addressing that Timothy is a man, and now he's talking about younger ladies, and he's saying, do this with all purity. Don't let yourself in any way go over any lines. With all purity, you will exhort the younger women as, as you would your own sisters. Verse 3, Honor widows who are really widows. Now, that's interesting. Somebody said, well, a widow's a widow. If a lady's husband dies, then she's a widow. Well, that is technically true. But notice Paul's going to bring some clarification to what should be done for certain widows in, in a certain category. So notice he says this, honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. In other words, before a widow comes to receive help and assistance from the church, well, if that widow has children or if that widow has grandchildren, then the family members should be taking care of her first and not you know, letting the church give her of the, you know, the goods that they have. 
This is interesting that it's in the Bible, and I do believe it's pastoral, but I also believe it has implications and applications universally. Verse 5, now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I'm going to keep reading because he's coming back to widows again. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, in this interesting, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, but refuse the younger widows for refuse. What does that mean? Refuse to carry them or to continue to provide for them from the church's resources. Refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. In other words, these widows that are younger, he says, typically, they're not ready to give the rest of their lives now in their widowhood to serve the Lord in ministry and such and to prayer and supplications and doing those things that would perpetuate godliness in the earth and ministry in the earth. He said, but the younger ones, they, they want to go out. They want to find a, a husband. And so he said, they want to get married. And so he said, don't take them in as if they're now ready to give their whole lives to the ministry and such. He said, no, because they have their sight set on going back into family life with a husband and such to have their needs provided. Verse 12, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. So he's really saying some of these younger ones are walking in the flesh. And instead of putting the things of God first, they're beginning to put natural things first. Verse 13, and besides, they learn to be idle. Didn't say they were always like this, but they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. What is he saying? If you're providing for them and giving them a free handout and they don't have to, you know, take care of a family, take care of a husband, take care of, of children and do those things, then they become idle and they begin to take advantage of this free uh, welfare, this free, uh, uh, you know, paycheck, so to speak. And they're going around and doing things they shouldn't do because they don't have to work like everybody else and take responsibility. So it says they're wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And so you can see here, Paul's getting into some very sensitive waters here, but he's speaking by the Spirit of God and he's saying, look, you don't just indiscriminately just hand out to everybody who is a widow or is in a certain category because not everybody treats it the same. Some people are so thankful and they just give themselves over to the Lord. But other people, that's just not where they are. 
And so Paul says, don't don't do that. Don't treat everybody the same, but make sure to distinguish between people that are going to receive that and put it to good works, good use for the kingdom and not to those who end up causing division because, well, you're enabling it. And so verse 15, for some have already turned aside after Satan. Boy, this is serious. Some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So he's not saying that the others aren't really widows. What he is saying, though, is a widow that needs assistance from the church. He said, look, if there is any man or a woman that has widows in the family, let those relatives first take care of those widows and the church not be burdened. But if anybody's really widowed, like they don't have anybody to take care of them, well, of course, then the church needs to step up as long as they're living a godly life and pursuing the values of the kingdom of God. Okay, change of subjects here. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well, we would say lead well, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So elders, sometimes we call them pastors or church leaders. Uh, let the elders who rule or lead well. Well, not all leaders lead the same. Some leaders really give themselves to it. Some leaders really pray and receive help from the Lord and their ministry excels and whatever's under them, whatever they touch seems to flourish and bolster. And so he says, let those elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Well, I'm going to tell you what that honor means in just a minute. It's not just saying, hey, great job, great job, great job. No, it's more than that. Watch this. Let them be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Or teaching. So those elders who labor in the word of God to bring the teaching of the word of God to people, he said, those especially are the elders that should be given double honor. Okay, so let's find out what this double honor means or what honor means. And then there's double the honor. Verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the labor is worthy of his wages. Oh, well, Jesus said that last one, the labor is worthy of his wages. And back in the Old Testament, one of the commandments was you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Well, like Paul says in, I believe, 1 Corinthians 9, he said, is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say that for our sake? And then he says, for our sake, no doubt. But back when you have an ox that's tied to this, you know, uh, uh, rotating or uh, circling little mechanism that's treading out the grain. Okay. So the grain, he's pulling this threshing uh, mechanism around on top of the grain. Well, the commandment of the Bible is don't muzzle the ox so that the, the ox can't reach down and eat while he's doing this. Let the oxen, let the oxen eat while they're playing this role. And here in the new Testament, Paul is helping us to see, Hey, look, God put these things not so that we can just take care of animals, but so that we can have these principles. So in other words, when you have uh, uh, 
a ruler, a man of God, a woman of God, a leader in the church that are giving themselves to it and they're leading well and their ministries flourish and what they're putting their hand to is working and flourishing. And especially if you have somebody that's laboring the word, he said, give them double honor for the scripture says you shall not muzzle ox. In other words, let them receive from the proceeds of the ministry. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the labor is worthy of his wages. So in other words, uh, Paul's saying, give him double wages. Give him double. If the, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double wages, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So Paul is talking very practically here in this chapter about widows, about older men, younger men, older women, younger women. And now he's talking about the elders themselves, the ministers, the leaders of the church and how if they're doing a good job and especially those who teach the word and labor in the word, they should be given double wages. And he says, now somebody said, well, why would that happen? Why would they do that? Well, for one reason, because God does reward those who lead well. See, that is the right thing to do, that not everybody gets the same. Those who work hard, those who don't. Those who study hard, those who don't. Those who pray hard, those who don't. No, God says if they're doing a good job, then give them double wages, especially those who labor in the word. Well, God doesn't want them to be burdened with the pressures and such. God wants them to be relieved of that and to be rewarded for doing a good job. And this is the way of the kingdom. People get rewarded for doing a good job. And so God's the same way. Verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So if somebody comes and makes some kind of an accusation, if it's just from one person, well, we can't accept that as if it's true. That doesn't mean we don't have any uh, you know, follow-up conversation or questions about it. But it means we just can't take one person's word for it. No, we have to have two or more according to the word of God. Verse 20, those who are sinning, talking about elders, those elders who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. So if you get up to that level of leadership where you have leadership over many people, then you don't just get if you're really outright sinning. Now, we're not talking about mistakes and things, but if you're really outright sinning and in some kind of rebellion, then the Bible says rebuke them in the presence of all so that all the rest may fear. Everybody said, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. And so they'll keep their nose clean, so to speak. They'll keep their lives and their attitudes in check. So it says in verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. So Paul's saying, I'm charging you in front of everybody, human and spirits, that you observe these things without prejudice. Don't show prejudice. Don't show partiality to anybody without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Boy, that's. That's important. Verse 22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. What does that mean, lay hands? He's talking about installing somebody into a ministry position. Don't quickly promote somebody and install them when you haven't tested them and checked them out, like it said back in the third chapter. Uh, about deacons, let them also first be tested. He said, don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. So don't get a buddy and say, well, I'll really promote you fast. No, don't do that. 
No, let them go through the process and they'll prove themselves to be worthy of that position if they really are worthy. So don't share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Verse 23. This is interesting. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent frequent infirmities. Notice, no longer only drink water. Well, there are several things you can surmise here. Number one, that Timothy had made a decision. I am only drinking water. So he had made a decision. I'm not drinking wine. But Paul said, he didn't say start drinking wine. He said, use a little wine for your stomach's sake. So use it as for medicinal purposes. Use it because you're having some stomach problems. So he says, no longer drink only water and, and no telling how the water was back in those days in this particular part of the world. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine, a little wine, use it a little wine for your stomach's sake. So this is something, maybe an antacid or something that would help him with his digestive system and your frequent infirmities. So apparently Timothy's going through some frequent infirmities and Paul's saying, hey, use a little wine. Don't, don't stick with the water only. Use a little wine. So I like this because it seems like Timothy had made a decision not even to drink any wine or alcohol whatsoever. And Paul said, but you should use some for your stomach's sake. And of course, they didn't have all the medicines that we do today. Verse 24, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. And so he's saying that some people... Uh, the sin that they're committing is just out in the open. Everybody can see that they're in error. But other people, they may be sinning, but you're not going to see until later that come out or, you know, be exposed. And the same thing with good works. And so he's just making sure that Timothy knows that, look, you can't just judge a book by its cover. Just because you see a person looking good, that doesn't mean that everything's right. Just because you see a person that is... Uh, you know, looking evil, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know everything in their heart either. And so anyway, this is a good little practical chapter, chapter five of first Timothy. And uh, let's pray right now that the Lord will help us to have these kinds of insights as we address various matters, not only of the church, but also of our own families and lives. Lord, thank you for helping us to see the truth of your word, how to walk in righteousness, how to walk in purity. And so help us to carry this out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. 
Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.